Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast. I'm Ben Eshmade and let's enter once again our archive and encounter some timeless music. Assembled through improvisation, editing and sound collage, let's explore the legacy of Can. Nobody's really actually managed to sound like Can. We didn't sell millions. We were not a hit group. We were always something avant-garde, something very strange. The main challenge to uh, to find ways of uh, make the orchestral instruments groove like like a drum like a drum set. In April 2017, the Can project came to the Barbican Hall. In the first half of which you could have seen and heard the might of the London Symphony Orchestra performing a new arrangement built on the band's legacy entitled Can Dialogue, written by one of the group's founders, Ermin Schmidt, in collaboration with composer Grigor Schwellenbach. After the interval, the journey in music continued with musician Thurston Moore leading a supergroup which included original Can singer Malcolm Mooney. They explored Can's immense catalogue of songs and albums. So, to the interviews. To set the scene, I first spoke to writer Rob Young, who had then just completed the biography, All Gates Open, The Story of Can. The voice after that you'll hear will be that of Can founder Ermin Schmidt. And lastly, we'll be joined by his collaborator, as mentioned on Can Dialogue, Grigor Schwellenbach. So first, for some background from writer Rob Young. For me, as a starting point to the biography, I was really fascinated by the actual first meeting of this group in an apartment in Cologne, June 1968. And that's, you know, of course, a month after the great uh, riots in uh, Paris, for example. There's very much a sense of turmoil and and revolution in the air in Europe anyway. And in this apartment belonging to uh, Ermin Schmidt, basically had this kind of people who'd been on different journeys through music suddenly kind of just, just kind of crunching together at this point. I mean, Ermin Schmidt himself had trained as a pianist and was also working as a, in the classical world and was also very well employed as a conductor, an orchestral conductor. Um, and along with that, you had a guy called Holger Schukai, who had been born in an area kind of between Germany and Poland, very contested zone, Danzig, uh, which was basically um, invaded during the war. He, had to, his, he and his family had to escape from there and ended up in Berlin. And Holger 
Olga had also trained as a composer over the course of the 60s and was interested in composing his own avant-garde music and was working in Stockhausen's electronic music studio in Cologne. And Jackie Lieberzeit, who's the drummer, had come completely differently through the route of uh, jazz. He was a really uh, successful jazz drummer who'd lived for a while in Barcelona, accompanying people like Chet Baker and other jazz musicians passing through and had worked with one of Germany's great free jazz players Manfred Schuf in a band in the mid-60s. He was just basically playing totally free jazz drumming. I knew Holger from the Stockhausen courses. And when I had the idea to form a group, I wrote him a letter and asked him what he thinks about joining. So Holger then was quite excited about the idea and he said, I had a pupil in Switzerland, a young beat guitarist, who uh, would love to join too. So we had a meeting then at my house. And before I had asked Jackie if he knows a drummer who would love uh, to join a group. And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll find you some. The day I had arranged it. And Jackie showed up and I said, well, what about the drummer? And he said, it's me. And I said, well, uh, you are in the Shroff group. Yeah, but I don't want to be any longer there. It doesn't interest me anymore. I want to do something new. And that's how we came together And uh, in the beginning. And then Hildegard met Malcolm Mooney at, at Serges in Paris. And he was a painter. And so Hildegard said to Malcolm, why don't you come to Cologne? Maybe Ermin can introduce you into the gallery scene. And so I said to Malcolm, well, why don't you come with me to the studio and look? And uh, he just spontaneously started singing. There we had the singer. It was a wonderful moment. He started to sing, and Jackie and Malcolm was, was a rhythm unit from the first second on. And with you, mother screams, I am mother. Woman screams, I am fertile. And the father. The idea was to have what then actually happened: to have musicians. That was my idea from classical, contemporary music, from from uh, jazz. So to bring it all together and find out actually what will happen. I had no nobody had an idea how it should develop, what it should become. What uh, we all said, we will invent it uh, all together. The only thing was we decided there is no hierarchy, there is no band leader. There is no composer, single composer, the group, and everybody has the same rights, the same function, the same is part of the composer, which is the group. So you basically you have all these people colliding together at this moment and really wanting to make something new and wanting to escape from the kind of genres that they've been um, trained in for so long and basically they wanted to rock you know that moment they you know they wanted to uh, go beyond any sort of academic avant-garde constraints and actually you know do the kind of things they were hearing from 
the Velvet Underground, Jimi Hendrix, these kind of figures. So um, it's it's really a great a great moment that that birth point. Why do you think it worked? I mean, as you said, in theory, it shouldn't have done. I mean, they were all pushing and pulling musically in different directions. Well, that's a million dollar question, isn't it? I mean, it was just um, you know, there's there's there'd always been a a good chemistry between these people. Um, the, the success of Can, it's I think partly due to the extraordinary personalities that that combined in the group. It's also a testament to their amazing instrumental virtuosity. And at the same time, they were discovering technology, recording technology. All their stuff was self-recorded. One important factor was that they were very much in control of their own production. They never went to professional studios to record their stuff. They were lucky enough to be given a space to rehearse in a castle outside Cologne. A quite wealthy art collector had just leased this old castle building, wanted to um, make it a commune for artists. So they moved in there and basically installed themselves space that they could use 24 hours a day to rehearse in, to set up a recording studio. And and so um, out of that, they developed this way of recording themselves on a really simple two-track reel-to-reel recording but they got some incredible results out of that. So that was another factor, I think, in, um, you know, in kind of how, how they turned out at that time. I rather liked to use uh, technology totally against it's, uh, its idea, how it was constructed, all the, the electronic devices at the time, I used always against the, the actual uh, idea it was being later to all of the synthesizers. I, I rather deconstructed their the idea of it so uh, but of course it had uh, i mean we created uh, then in in with the years we developed quite a sophisticated uh, electronic sounds too and, uh, besides you know pure acoustic uh, drum and guitar sounds and organ sounds but we had all i had uh, later pretty soon seventy uh, one I had a synthesizer which was uh, the Alpha 77. Get quite known because it was it was specially built for me, and it was built after my ideas. Uh, from um, but I, I never would have been able to construct it. But uh, I, there was an electronic engineer who uh, who developed it. But it was me who gave him the idea how it should function, and uh, so I'm um, of course there. Uh, electronic uh, are one of the, the very important uh, columns uh, elements of contemporary music and it was one of ours too A big part of their recorded sound was editing. So a lot of what you hear on the records is actually uh, lots and lots of different long tapes that are collaged together. I mean, mostly in ways that you can't really hear the join. You know, they really embraced that the idea of you know, creating the ideal take by you know, cutting up 
tapes and re-editing them. And that was, in a way, the source of one of the big tensions within the band. Some people were very much in favour of doing that. Some of them actually would prefer to just play the thing and get it right first time. So, um, you know, it's a band that also thrived on conflict as well. Well, already can was a collage of people of totally different musical life backgrounds. So, uh, in a way, already can was a collage. Collage was very much my my idea anyway, because, I mean, being also in the art scene, collage was a very important element of 20th century art here. Also literature, think about Boris, for example. It was a very important element for me, for Holger too, less for Jackie, who was a jazz musician. I mean, he wanted to play. This kind of editing uh, was not so much his thing. But, I mean, uh, it was part of our, uh, of the way we put music together. You could also say they reinvented themselves each album. I mean, there there are sort of many variations in Can, especially as different people came and went. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, you can definitely really notice the evolution. It's almost year by year. I mean, for me, it's just a great run of material between 1968 and about 1975. And they split up in uh, 1978. But yeah, you know, they were evolving really rapidly in those early years. Um, Definitely the character of the music changes with, for example, there's a big change of vocalist. I mean, after just over a year, Malcolm Mooney left the band. He he, uh, kind of had a nervous breakdown, had to go back to America. Not so long after that, they happened to just stumble on a Japanese busker in Munich called Damo Suzuki and just really invited him to be their vocalist practically, you know, there on the spot. And he uh, very much characterised Can's uh, kind of uh, golden few years as well. From you know, they evolved also with with technology as well. They they brought in more and more innovations with the way that the effects they used on their instrument, the recording technology, kind of gradually. You know, they sort of added more and more. You've talked about how everything came together in the studio. Did they perform live? Uh, during their time yeah i probably played that down really in what we've been talking about but i mean they i mean it's important also to to remember that what you hear on the albums is really one tiny sort of element of what can did yes they did play live loads um right from the beginning basically most of their live appearances were around germany also in france where they were actually really popular and very critically acclaimed and britain and they did several big tours of the uk almost like you know in the country for a whole month at a time doing a lot of uh, yeah lots of tours in Germany uh, festivals there so yes they were absolutely a very uh, intensely working live group can live is a is a uh, there's a whole other dimension there which we've lost in in time obviously um, so but it was it was an important part of, of their lifespan for sure so we were very successful. But first in Britain and France, 
and then it became in 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 Germany. But then we made the title song for a three or four film serial in television, and we made and the title song became high in the chart, and we had a hit in, in Germany. I mean, we didn't sell millions. We were not a hit group. We were always something avant-garde, something very strange, and had a certain public. But as such, we were nevertheless we were successful. I was always, even as a as a very small kid, I was always fascinated by sound, by noise, and uh, I mean, it took me a long time until I was twenty, twenty-three, until I realized my fascination by noise is part of my musical world. So, uh, well, actually, one of the reasons I understood was when I heard Stockhausen's Gesang der Jünglinge. When I heard this Gesang der Jünglinge. I think I, I, I hadn't yet started uh, studying music, or maybe just I had, I don't know exactly. I decided this I want to understand. So uh, I first started uh, conducting, and then later in 64, I went to Cologne and started studying with Stockhausen. On the um, music academy, while I was studying uh, composition, I also had less uh, composition lessons with Ligeti already, and I met Cage. I mean, these are the three, you know, as composers, uh, which had the biggest influence on me, Ligeti and Cage and Stockhausen. They were totally different from each other. Cage was wonderful and sort of... Uh, yeah, he was uh, very free and very, uh, um, I mean, uh, all the, the, the rules of serialism and, and composition, which meant so much to, uh, to, 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 to uh, Stockhausen, didn't mean much to, uh, to Cage. So I was in between all that, which was wonderful because three completely different. 
Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Have you enjoyed working with Gregor on the orchestral work? Uh, what were your ambitions for this piece? Yes, very much so. Very much so. The first thing that was very, very uh, clear for both of us, we um, mustn't do some medley best of thing. The first talks were, how can we do this? What I did was I uh, wrote a lot of orchestrations of can songs or of parts of can songs that we all did not use. It was just to get into the, the, the flow and to, to collect some experiences in how can you, uh, how can you use those motives in an orchestral work. I always like uh, new adventures. So going back to uh, to the orchestra, to symphony orchestra in, uh, in Barbicanal, I conduct uh, this piece the, with the can quotations, the can di- dialogue piece but also in a concert version suite of my ballet. The Barbican pieces are really meant to only be performed by orchestra without any electronics. So I decided we won't use even much percussion, but having a real, like a classic 19th century orchestra and doing something different with it. We didn't want to to try and make the orchestra sound like a rock band. We wanted to keep of an orchestra, but use the spirit and the structure of of canned songs, but not the sounds. Maybe that that maybe that was the main challenge to uh, to find ways of uh, make the orchestral instruments um, groove like a like a drum like a drum set. mentioned at the beginning Dockhouse and Leggetti and Cage. Will we hear echoes or reverberations of their music perhaps within that? Well, I don't know. But of course, yeah, there there is. I mean, you always refer to something. You always are influenced. You never uh, create out of the void. So these three for me are very important. For Gregor, for example, the music of Steve Reich and John Adams, Terry Riley, for instance, is very important. So you will hear my and his, who is much younger. I mean, he could be my son. Everything which happened uh, in our life is absorbed somehow. But I don't think you definitely will recognize. I mean, this is all these influences which, of course, form the mind of a composer. And my music is the sum of my musical experiences, of my adventures I was looking for, and I had of my beginning from my studies, even from my childhood, when I had so incredibly uh, fascinated by noises. I was really, as a kid, I was fascinated by noises. When I was four years old, opposite to our uh, apartment, there was a doctor. There was a doorway with gravel, and when his car went in and out, 
I was on the balcony and was totally fascinated by the sound of the tires on the gravel. So um, all this, of course, is part of, of your experiences. favor the, the publisher is is planning to release this big book about Ken and the second part I'm editing and part parts of it writing myself and one day I interviewed Thurston for the book after the interview Thurston said well listen uh, I have a commission doing a concert with an experimental film behind the scene would you like to play with me it was in the Louvre in, in Paris so of course I said yes so we made that concert just by working so closely together actually we we didn't even um, rehearse for it and since this kind of spontaneity which I like so much uh, and anyway I like Sonic Youth we just asked if he would like to to sort of curate the second part of the Barbican concert and well he accepted and we never discussed what because that's him he curates it and of course plan was that as many can musicians which could possibly take part in this would play with him but unfortunately it will be only Malcolm because uh, Jackie died Holger is sick well I'm doing my part and unfortunately Jackie won't be with us anymore which is the saddest thing which has happened to me in the last 20 years I'm still uh, well I can't talk about it when I saw The legacy of the band. I think there's a certain argument that they're more successful now than they've ever been. I'm hearing their music everywhere. It's true, isn't it? I mean, especially it's being, it's really cropping up in a lot of movies and occasionally in TV series. And yes, possibly. Um, they've managed to keep their catalogue alive. I mean, they, they still run their own uh, label and publishing operation. You know, every member gets a royalty check every month. Yeah, I mean, people like, uh, you know, Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, when he's done some music editing work for some of various movies, he often seems to slip a, a can track or two in there. I think there was a track on the recent 
recent High Rise movie by Ben Wheatley. I think it's partly they they haven't dated in in a way that a lot of music has. There's something there's something about the combination of sounds that has managed to stay fresh. Obviously, the Can and the, a lot of the other German rock bands from the 70s. There's been a lot of interest in them over the last sort of 10 and 15 years or so. You know, in the States and Britain and and Europe, I think a lot of younger listeners have been turning onto them again. They've been quite creative with the back catalogue. They've released remix albums and repackaged the stuff. They've had quite uh, interesting champions. I mean, yeah, James Murphy from LCD Sound System was nearly always photographed in a Future Days T-shirt. You know, when height <laughs> of that band's success, and and I think you know the sound of LCD Sound System owes, owes masses to to Can as one as one example. But you know, no, nobody's really actually managed to sound like Can. They're one of those bands. Lots of people claim to love. Lots of musicians love, and I can't tell you how many press releases I've read which refer to, you know, a, a band sounding like Can. But nobody actually really manages to, to to sound exactly like Can to to my ears. But they're certainly an important touchstone for a lot of people. When you decide to become a composer, a musician, of course you want that it's played that people listen to it and that you get a public which likes it. If that happens, and it happened with Ken, yes, yeah, you are quite satisfied that you're happy that the music you make found people like it. Sometimes for certain moments, all of a sudden you are proud. It doesn't, doesn't last very long. Most of the time you think about what you are just doing and most of the time before it's you are unsatisfied with it and you work on it and you don't think about legacy and being proud. Just think about the work you have to do. Thanks to Ermin, Grigor and Rob for speaking to us. As many will know, sadly Holger Zuki passed away in late 2017, making Ermin's comments about him more poignant. I think anyone who managed to get a ticket felt very lucky to be in the audience that evening to celebrate the evergreen importance of this band's music. Do discover or rediscover can. I'm Ben Eshmade. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of Nothing Concrete, the Barbican podcast, here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly episodes, with weekly episodes, with weekly episodes of archive finds and themed series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on ACAST, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.